0: The following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Jacob. I'm one of the members here at Foundation, and I'm really glad to have you all here. So let me ask you, um, you can turn to Luke chapter 14 in your Bibles if you want to follow along while I do this. How do you feel about your family? I know, wide open question, don't answer. Um... Maybe you like them, maybe you don't, maybe you see them all the time, maybe you don't see them hardly at all. Let me tell you a little bit about my family. So I have a wife right back there, Amy. We have a baby on the way. We live right across the river here in Fredericksburg and we're really, really excited about that, obviously. Um, my parents and uh, one of my sisters, they live just on the other side of town. My grandparents, um, they all live in town too, actually. We, we're all just right here in Fredericksburg together. It's pretty great. And I'm on good terms with, uh, with all of them, it's nice. It's really nice, I love my family a lot, and they're, they're a significant part of my lifestyle. We, we chose to move here because this is where everyone lives. You know, we chose to buy a house here because this is, this is where we want to have our children. Um, and so I've made, I've made certain choices, you know, based on my relationship with my family. And uh, if we're being honest, I've also, I've paid certain costs, right? Easily worth it, but costs nonetheless. You know, I've spent money and time, and I've, I've foregone paths not taken for the sake of my family, whom I love dearly. And if that were taken away from me, that would be an enormous change to my life. Huge parts of me would have to completely change to accommodate that. Uh, I might not even live here. I might get a different job or a different house. A lot would change. And so something that you need to know then is that Jesus says, I am supposed to love him more than any of them, and all those costs and all those paths not taken. I need to be ready to lay them down at any time for his sake. So let's go to God's word as we ask ourselves what it means to follow Jesus. This is Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, uh, and I'm using the English Standard Version. Now great crowds accompanied him While the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So here then is the point for today. It is costly to be a disciple of Jesus. It is costly, it is expensive to be a disciple of Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. How can this be? How am I supposed to love Jesus whom I've never met more than my wife, my unborn child, my mom and dad and my sisters and my grandparents? How am I supposed to love Jesus more than them? And for some of you, this might be easy. Many of you have relationships that are almost entirely negative with certain members of your family. Some of you live very far away, and your lives are almost completely detached from them. At the very least, all of us have complex relationships with our parents. But nonetheless, there's someone close to you. There's someone you care about. And Jesus says, you're to hate them? How can that be? And so, of course, understand, Jesus knows how to use rhetoric. He does not hate his very own mother and father and his brothers. He does not hate his friends and his disciples. And yet, would you be willing to if that was the only way to follow him? See, Jesus here is calling you to radically reorient every priority and love in your life. He is calling you to love him so much that your love for anything else anyone else is negligible in comparison now rhetorical or no that's a hard saying and so hard in fact that it seems wrong maybe he didn't really mean it this way i mean after all honor thy father and mother right i mean are we supposed to be going around abandoning our spouses for the name of jesus and not taking care of our children that, that can't be true but consider this, then. God created this world and everything and everyone in it with a particular order. He created husbands to marry wives. He created husbands and wives to have children. He created the husbands and wives to raise the children. He created grandparents. He created great-grandparents. He created brothers and sisters, all with their particular ordered relationships. But the most important relationship, the most crucial relationship to keep ordered is your relationship with God. And if there was a way to measure it, you need to understand that your relationship with God is this one. And your relationship with whatever is the next most important thing barely even measures on the scale. So Jesus here is calling us not to not to dismiss our wives and children and fathers and mothers, but rather to put them in the correct Position in our list of priorities. Jesus says elsewhere when he's asked by the Pharisees to sum up the entirety of God's commandment, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. This again, this is the correct order. First, God. First, God with everything. God in all your heart and soul and strength and mind. First, God and then also your neighbor. So today I hope that you don't leave loving your family any less. But in fact, you leave loving Jesus so much more that when he reorders your priorities and every other relationship is then rightly ordered under his, that all of those relationships are in fact improved by virtue of being where they rightly belong. Following Jesus is costly. Because the thing is, when Jesus reorders your life, it's going to bring conflict. There are going to be people that don't like it. And this is where the rubber really hits the road. When you go to that person, you say, hey, I love Jesus a lot more than I love you. Hopefully, hopefully, if that person is also a believer, they'll understand. But many times they won't. And if they are not also a Christian, they definitely won't. How could you love Jesus more than me? How could you love Jesus that much more than me, that you're willing to make decisions that benefit him at my expense? That's hard. I know people who, at the cost, as the cost of making Jesus supreme in their lives, have lost everyone they care about. It's very common with some of our friends in, in other nations. you know, Consider, uh, consider someone in a, in a Muslim family who forsakes Allah, and turns to Jesus. In many countries, their family may or must kill them. Are you willing to do that? We're lucky that we don't have to think in that way. But it should be on the table if it needs to. Putting Jesus way out in front where he belongs offends people. It offends their sense of identity. It offends other sources of worth besides him. It threatens our tribes and our ethnicities. It threatens what race we are. It threatens what gender we are. It threatens what family we come from. It threatens our political affiliations. All of these other allegiances that we have, Jesus is calling you to push them down and make all the room at the top for him. Your identity as a follower of Christ, if you're a member of Foundation, your identity shared with these other members in this room as the church of Jesus Christ that is your first of all your cares and concerns, almost singular. Following Jesus is costly. And I actually have one very specific application of this point in particular that I wanted to make, and this is something that I've been convicted of myself and that I've seen in, in particularly in the American church countless times. Stop lying to yourself and your relatives about their salvation. We all have one. Depending on your family background, you might have many. Someone who says they're a Christian, but you know better. I know we can't know. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Either their name is written in the book of life or it's not. But stop lying to yourself and stop lying to them. Do you love Jesus more than that person? Do you love their soul more than you love their happiness? We need to know where people stand. They need to know where you stand. Following Jesus is costly. Whoever's not willing to give up even his own life, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. So Jesus then goes on to to one-up even himself. One must hate even his own life to be a disciple of Jesus. Come follow me. Come and die. How can you hate your own life? Is that not the most basic human instinct, self-preservation? If someone takes a swing at you, you're going to flinch. When you hear an explosion, you run. It's what people do. It's instinct. How can you hate your own life? Surely Jesus does not mean that we are all to experience self-loathing or suicidal thoughts. That cannot be a prerequisite for following him. Jesus here wants you to know that you must love him more than yourself. And that means a lot of things. We're not all called to die. Most of us probably are not called to die. It's not mandatory. We're not in a suicide cult. We don't don't need to drink the Kool-Aid before we can get to him. And yet, do you love Jesus more than your choices, your lifestyle that you've picked for yourself, your comfort, your pleasure, all your desires, your hopes, your dreams? Do you love Jesus more than your human rights? more even than your own existence? And would you be willing to bear your cross to follow him? There's two things you should know about bearing your cross here before we continue. First, Jesus is, of course, not talking about the cross because it doesn't exist yet. He's alive. He has not been crucified. So at this stage in his ministry, when the audience hears cross, they hear noose, electric chair. They hear a form of execution. It is not sentimental or holy. It is not a symbol of our salvation. It has absolutely no meaning other than die. And really, really in the worst way. Two, according to the Roman law of the day, and this does come into play at Jesus' crucifixion, after someone has been sentenced to death by crucifixion while they're carrying their cross to the execution ground, they are considered legally dead, which means they have no rights. They're really not even human in the eyes of the law, which means there's no limit to what can be done to them. Take up your cross and come after me. So, what does Jesus mean then for you when he says to hate yourself and bear your cross? I'm going to pick on today our rights. Are you willing to give up your rights? Are you willing to be considered legally dead, not even a human in the eyes of the law, to have nothing to your name? When I say rights, I'm sure that certain ideas probably come to your mind. I'd love to run through a few of them, but I also want to push you to consider some rights that maybe you haven't even thought of as being rights because they're just that sacred. We all know about, you know, the right to free speech and the right to bear arms. We, we have our, you know, our constitutional rights that, uh, that depending on who you asked for, to have either been granted to us by God or, you know, lovingly permitted to us by the government. Doesn't really matter, though, for a follower of Christ. Matthew 5.39 says, Do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Are you entitled to the right to a fair trial? Yeah, in the eyes of the law, you sure are. But if that's what it took to follow Jesus, are you willing to lay it down? What about your property rights? Your right to safety and security? A scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are you willing to follow Jesus to live nowhere? What about the right to decide how you spend your money? Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. That sure does sound like Jesus has ideas about how we're supposed to spend our money. What about more private rights, more personal, innate rights? Maybe you think you have a right to be loved or respected. Well, Jesus says to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Are you ready to have enemies? Do you have enemies? And I don't mean that people that don't like you, and that's, that's fine. Or, or maybe there's people out there, you know, they have really gross political views, and they think that you're the enemy because they think that you're the one who has really gross political views. No, I mean, are you willing to make enemies of those who respect you and whose respect you desire for the sake of the gospel? Are you willing to be hated by your own side? Are you willing to make more enemies and then love them anyway. Following Jesus is costly. And what about your right to act a certain way? I know we all don't have complete freedom to act however we want. I mean, you can, but there'll be consequences. What about your right to believe certain things? Your right to think? Come on, nobody can make you think a certain way. Surely I have the right to think what I want, to to feel what I feel. I mean, whether or not your emotions are true, nobody can stop you from having them. And yet, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If Jesus is the way, all other ways are wrong. If Jesus is the truth, all other truths are false. And if Jesus is the life, all other lives are false. Death. So, are you prepared to give up your rights? Are you prepared to give up the right to think a certain way? To submit your truth to the truth? That's what Jesus is asking for when he calls you to hate yourself and take up your cross. Are you ready to live your life like it's nothing? Following Jesus is costly. Jesus has this way in his discourses of making a a really difficult point, but then he sort of wraps it up with a parable that makes perfect sense. He, He integrates this hard truth into an understandable shared experience. So look at these examples that he then uses to make his point. He, of course, intentionally chooses two examples that demonstrate a large cost because he knows, he's just told his listeners that the cost is so great. I mean, he could have given an example about building a barn or raising an army of 100 men, but but no, he chooses a a mighty tower and a great army. I mean, think about that army, too. That's not just money, that's lives. Jesus is making it abundantly clear that what he's asking for is expensive. Elsewhere, he tells a story of a a man who is searching for valuable pearls. He's a merchant. presumably buys and sells pearls, and he finds one one day that is so valuable that he sells everything he owns. Is that on the table for you? I mean, what would it take? What antique store would you have to walk into? What price tag would you have to see to sell your house, your car, to quit your job, to give up the clothes off your back, to buy that one thing? It's impossible to live a life following Christ without great cost, and that cost is so great, in fact, that according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he, he says that if what we're doing here is in vain, we of all people are the most to be pitied. So just ask yourself briefly right here, if all this were in vain, would you still be okay? I mean, yeah, we've all wasted a lot of time here on Sunday mornings, sure. Sure. Maybe Wednesday nights, too. You know, if you, Maybe you give 10% of your income to the church and think of all the other things you could have bought with that. But come on, that's not the most to be pitied. I mean, there's, there's plenty of other people that have it a lot harder than that. That's, that's actually kind of nothing, if you think about it. So ask yourself, are you following Jesus? If all this were nothing, and were most to be pitied, what have you lost, really? Any one of you who does not renounce... All that he has cannot be my disciple. So when you take this all together, then Jesus is saying that your whole life needs to be shuffled around and reoriented. Every nook and cranny needs to be realigned to follow him. There's no one issue at stake here. There aren't certain sins that Jesus really wants you to stop, but you know he'll put up with other ones for now. There aren't certain commands that you must follow and other commands that you should follow. There aren't some costs that have to be paid and other costs that you can get around to later. The reality is regardless of what is going on in your life and what your relationships and your, your self-identity and your rights, whatever they look like, if even for one second, you have not acknowledged God as the highest king and creator and Lord over all of those things, putting them rightfully in your place. If for one moment you have denied that, you've sinned. If God is not, for a moment, rightly ordered in your heart, you are a sinner. If your father or your mother or your rights or your comfort or your beliefs or anything that you have or anything that you want... You want just a little more than Jesus. You missed. And Jesus here asks you to add up all the cost of that. To look at him and look at that and decide, no, it's all him. So please hear me carefully then. This is the point that Jesus is making here. To follow Jesus, to be his disciple, is Always costly. If the thing that you do that you call following Jesus is not costly, if the things that you give up aren't that bad, if you're willing to be a disciple over here but not over there, if you're willing to be a disciple on Sunday morning but not Monday morning, if for one moment you have failed to acknowledge God as the only you cannot be his disciple. Are you ready to do that? If following Jesus costs you your family, are you ready for that? If following Jesus costs you your job and your house and your lifestyle, are you ready for that? What about this one? None of those things are fragile. You know, we don't, we don't live in a time and a place where you might lose your house at the drop of a hat. I know that it happens, but it's not, it's not quite that bad. Are you ready to lose your respect? I don't mean your self-respect or, or some sort of nebulous thing like that. I, I mean are you ready to be ashamed? That's tough, right? Because, you know, oh, I'm I'm willing to lay down my life, right? It's noble, it's noble to die. I'll die for my cause. I will I will stand athwart history and say, I believe in this, whether or not you kill me. That's really something, right? We admire those people, at least when they agree with us. Here's the thing, though. That might happen to you, but it's a lot more likely that you need to be prepared to be humiliated. Your enemies, they they don't think that you're evil. They think you're pathetic. They think you're dumb. They're embarrassed by you. Very few people are actually out there sharpening their pitchforks at us right now. They're just rolling their eyes. They're complaining on the internet about how dumb you are. And if you were just a little bit smarter, you wouldn't believe all this stuff. The people whose respect you want, they don't respect you because of this. Is that worth it? That's hard. That's hard for me. If people knew what I really believed, what would they think of me? And then of course the question is, if people don't know what I really believe, so they still think well of me? What am I doing? So are you ready to count that cost? I mean, Jesus died on the cross, not as a martyr, but to settle a bargain between politicians. The Jews and the Romans made a deal to get him out of their hair. It was not a noble death. It was not impressive. He was mocked. He was spit upon. People thought nothing of him, except for a very few Followed him. So, are you ready to be nobody? Are you ready to be unimpressive? Are you ready to be humiliated to follow Jesus? So, let me just be clear if you're not following Jesus, you're not a Christian. And following Jesus is always costly. Let me challenge you then, if you are in fact a Christian, with some considerations if you're a member of this church if you if you call yourself a believer i want you to hear these these proposals that i'm going to make some of them will sound ridiculous probably we all live different lives and what it means for me to follow jesus might not be what it means for you and and none of these things that i suggest are automatically the right thing to do but here's here's what i want consider everything i say seriously to follow jesus means to put anything on the table. It's all up for grabs if that's what it takes to follow him. So consider some of these things. Some of these things that the Bible, in fact, teaches us to do. And consider whether or not in your heart if today, walking out of here, Jesus says, follow me. If this is something you're willing to do. Have you considered writing following Jesus into your schedule? Have you taken, have you considered taking 10, 20 hours a week meeting over scripture for evangelism and teaching and discipleship? Cutting out other things. You're going to have to meet people that you don't like and do things that you don't like and stop doing things that you do like to make time for that. Nobody has 20 hours to spare. Jesus says, follow me. Have you considered adopting or fostering hard to place children, the ones nobody else wants? Have you considered that's gonna make it harder to parent your kids? What about after your kids are gone? You're free, right? Or are you experienced? Are you ready to help someone you couldn't have helped when you were 25? Jesus says, follow me. Have you considered spending more money than you think you can, more than makes sense, Have you considered making Dave Ramsey upset with you to follow Jesus, to go to the nations and spread the gospel of Jesus? Does it make sense to spend $2,500 to go to Uganda? No, of course it doesn't. But Jesus says, follow me. Have you considered taking your kids with you on that trip? I know, that's even more ridiculous. Come on, $2,500 is a lot of money, and now you want me to spend that four times to bring my wife and kids? Jesus says, follow me. Have you considered choosing or changing a career or avoiding certain job choices that would interfere with discipleship? Have you thought about foregoing certain kinds of success for Jesus? Have you considered coming to a church body and staying there, even if it means giving up your income, or your lifestyle in the future? Everybody says, no, change jobs every two, three years, you know, move to new places where the money's good. That's, that's, how you, you know, that's how you make it today. Jesus says, follow me. Have you considered thanking God for exactly what life stage you're in, even if you hate it, even if the end of this time can't come soon enough? Have you considered abandoning your deepest desires for Jesus' sake, even though the world is constantly shouting to find yourself? Jesus says, follow me. Brothers and sisters, have you considered going into the mission field to die, to a place where you are sure to be miserable and poor and hated and persecuted and even killed for the sake of Jesus? someone is doing it, Jesus says, follow me. Does your life look like the life of someone who loves Jesus more than anything? Is your discipleship costly? Now, to you among us today who do not follow Jesus, these are challenging words. But instead of challenging you, I actually have an offer. And to those of you who are a Christian, these are challenging words. And to you, I have a reminder. After hearing all of this, you're surely asking yourself, why would anyone want to follow Jesus? What could possibly be worth all this? Even if you're already a disciple of Christ, is it worth it to kill my natural desires, to love my enemies, to hate my family, to go to dangerous places and to give away my time and my money and my comfort and my safety? What is worth that? If you are a Christian, I hope you already know. But hear this reminder then. You want to follow Jesus because you want to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus in his life. You want to follow Jesus into his death. And you want to follow Jesus after his death. First, we follow Jesus in life. We've covered this already. Jesus is calling you to respond. He says, follow me. Leave your things behind and follow me. Be prepared to forsake your family, your possessions, your desires, and even your life. But he's not calling you to these sacrifices to make a point. He's not saying, prove it. Prove how much you love me. He promises in Luke 9, 23 and 24 that whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself? Jesus is saying that following him, becoming his disciple, is in fact the way to save our lives. It's, it's for you. It's for your good. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He says, follow me. Follow me for your own good, to death? Yes, to death. We follow Jesus in his life, and we follow Jesus in his death. He says to take up your cross, to hang your noose around your neck, and come with me. Take your entire life in your hands, and let it go. But why? Why would we have to follow Jesus to his death? Is it not enough to give up our lives, but also then to die? We follow Jesus into his death because his death is what has paid the price for our sins. To follow Jesus is life. To do anything short of that is death. And yet we've all fallen short. Our human selves, our our fleshly desires, and our rebellion against God, they bubble up. We don't always follow Jesus. We can't always follow Jesus How is that resolved? What is to be done? Jesus' death is what is to be done. Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you are a follower of Christ, your sin and your punishment for your failure to follow Jesus, for your failure to rightly orient your life, was put to death in Christ when he died on that cross. Your sins are paid for. The cost of following Jesus is paid for in his death. Now, up until this point, this is perhaps even comprehensible. We all know what it means to follow someone in life. We all have people we admire. We try to act like them. We do what they do. We believe what they say. And honestly, we we all have at least a concept of what it means to follow someone to death. I mean, is not every action movie about someone who's willing to follow someone else into death, the noble sacrifice to risk it all for the love of that that man that you follow. But it's not outside of our human experience. We are called then yet further to follow Jesus further. We, in fact, follow Jesus after death. I quoted a passage earlier from 1 Corinthians 15. It's part of a much longer section on resurrection. And later in that section, it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. See, the only way, the only way to salvation, the only way to immortality, the only way to eternity following Christ is to die. This flesh must be put to death. It has to go away. And so we follow Jesus in his life. We follow Jesus into his death, and we follow Jesus beyond his death into his resurrection brothers and sisters you want to follow jesus and even yet he is not done in romans 8 the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of god and if children then heirs heirs of god and fellow heirs with christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him We follow Jesus in our life and in our death. We follow Jesus to be resurrected, and we follow Jesus to his seat at the table of God as children. Is it not worth it to follow him? Is it not worth everything to follow him, to be a son or daughter of God? Jesus' call to us to follow him is for our sake. Everything he did was for our sake. The life that he lived that we are to follow, and the death that he died, which we are to follow, and the resurrection that he returns to, which we are to follow, and the glory in which he now sits, which we are to follow. So that the cost of following Jesus worth it. Brothers and sisters, the cost of following Jesus is nothing compared to this. And it's a mystery then, in a sense. Following Jesus is incredibly costly, and yet, it's free. He has already paid the price for following him. The cost of following Jesus is incredibly costly, and yet, it's worth it. I would gladly sell everything for that one pearl. So let me leave you briefly with a warning and then encouragement. If you go back to the original text in Luke 14, you'll notice undoubtedly if you've opened a Bible at all, it's broken up into chapters and verses and headings with titles, and all of those were added later. This is all part of one long teaching of Jesus. And there's no particular reason, in fact, to stop right where we did, except that it's sort of the end of an idea. Uh, But it's not quite. See, if you continue reading in 14, 34, and 35, it says salt is good. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So then consider this in light of the immediately preceding text. If salt loses its saltiness, it is thrown out. This is a warning to all who listen and to all who rightly recognize that the cost of following Jesus is very expensive. It is not temporary. It does not come to an end. You will not pay enough to settle up your account. So if you are considering following Jesus, be prepared to persevere to the very end. But then now an encouragement for you. I hope, I hope that you are thinking, I could never follow Jesus like this. I don't think I have it in me to count this cost. Frankly, if you don't think that, you miss the entire point of this teaching. And honestly, hearing some of these words come out of my own mouth is discouraging. I don't measure up. I don't do those things. I do not follow Jesus like he says I should. Do I really love Jesus more than my family and my possessions and my very life? Frankly, I don't think I can do that and interestingly enough, then, if you're anything like me, to be honest, there's also that little something inside of me that says, you know, actually, maybe, maybe I am doing pretty good. I go to church every week. This week, I happen to be actually preaching up here, which is worth extra points, right? I give my money and my time. You know, maybe Jesus is glad that he hired me. So maybe you feel one of those two ways. Maybe you feel both of those ways. But let's keep reading. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost, just so I tell you. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. My friends, sheep are really dumb. We had friends at our old church that owned sheep, and you know I, I helped them move them from time to time. I would talk to them, and they're so they're so dumb. If they find something that tastes really good, they'll eat until their stomachs pop and they die. If one of them walks off a cliff. The other ones will follow it because they figure, you know, that guy did it, so it must be something good down there. Do you understand why Jesus calls us his sheep so often? I mean, look, I, we, we all have sheep days, right? Do you feel like a sheep today? Do you feel like you are really just keeping on doing that dumb thing, and you know it's wrong, and you're just going to keep doing it anyway? You can't follow Jesus. You want to You don't want to. I can't decide. I'm weak. I'm frail. Yeah, you can't follow Jesus. You're right. You're right. You can't follow Jesus. You'll never be able to count enough costs. You're a sheep. You can't do it. And when sheep get lost, man, they just do everything they can to get even more lost. And Jesus is finding you. He is seeking you. He is the one who comes to you. You're lost. You're not doing it. You're not following him. You're not going to find yourself. You're not going to get unlost. And Jesus wanders the wilderness calling your name because he's done all the work. Following Jesus is costly and is paid for. He lived the life. He died the death. He was raised in the resurrection, and he sits in glory. He's done it, and he is seeking you. Jesus says, follow me. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this has been challenging. Many of Jesus' words are. His disciples grumbled more than once. Your sayings are too hard. Who can follow these things? To follow Jesus is to give up everything, to cut your very flesh from your bones, nothing is sacred nothing is held back but it's worth it jesus has done the work he has led the way you can never follow him into something that he has not done himself and when you inevitably fail when you stray when you are weak and you hold on to your things he finds you friends confess your sins confess what you're holding out Hand over what you are holding back. Hand over that sin. Hand over that comfort. Hand over that preference. Hand over that relationship. Lay it down. Jesus says, follow me. Do not wait until tomorrow. Jesus saw the fishermen and said, follow me. And they dropped their nets and left. Jesus saw the taxman and said, follow me. Immediately he rose and followed Jesus says to you, follow me. Will you? Recent sermons are released under a Creative Commons non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you'd like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com. Let's pray to God. What then shall we say to these things? If you, God, are for us, who can be against us? You who did not spare your own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against your elect? For it is you who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at your right hand? Who is interceding for us? I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from your love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord God, we follow you. Amen.